Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast. A weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Himra Chanel, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Ave, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. Park Avenue Baptist Church, in response to COVID-19, has suspended in-person worship, but that can't stop us. What you'll hear on this podcast is a recording of our online worship, which happens each Sunday at 10 a.m. Join us through our Facebook, at Park Ave Baptist, or our Instagram, at Park Ave Baptist. We hope that you stay safe in these difficult times. And we have a reading from Marcus, uh, Hebrews 6, 6, and Acts 10, 39. Now hear these two brief scriptures, Acts 10, 39. We are witnesses of everything he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. Hebrews 6, 6. They are crucifying God's son all over again and exposing him to public shame. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This service has just been so intentional and well thought out. And um, and I just appreciate everyone who's offered their gifts and their prayers and their hopes. Um, particularly, I wanna thank Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa, who is a journey partner, a sojourner, a kindred spirit of, of my own. Um, I'm Darcy. Uh, I am one of the co-pastors here and I am affirmed by they, them pronouns. And when I met Robin, um, I was already a, a fan of theirs. And, and now we've become friends and community partners and just these conversations that we have together are so life-giving and we wanted to share some of that with you. I'll do a little more introduction, but I'd love for Robin to introduce themselves again um, to this community and then I'll pray for us. Good morning, folks. Thank you so much um, for the re-invitation. Park Avenue continues to have a deep posture of welcome to the other, whatever the other is. Um, And I just wanna um, also just offer my gratitude and thanksgiving to Deacon Daniel and the gift of song, right? That so much of our music in in and throughout um, church history, uh, we're learning has really accelerated harm um, for people and, like Pastor Darcy said, there there has been a great amount of care and intention that um, went into to the service. And um, while in the Baptist tradition, the centrality of the sermon is the sort of moment for 
um, for the church service. I also just want to um, point out um, the the centering prayer, the the welcoming prayer that Deacon Naritha offered us, and the music that those those also create conditions um, for a sort of openness um, with the sermon, right? And so it it liberation takes a diversity of tactics and um, and so I just want to give thanks for the ways in which the liturgy uh, not only um, creates conditions for a greater imagination but it pulls us together into community so that we can ask the hard questions that I know Darcy and I will be raising so thank you again for for the invitation to be here um, the the politics of your open pulpit um, is what will create um, manifold, um, manifold liberation acts. And so I just feel really grateful to be a part of uh, the crew. Thank you, Dr. Robin. We are so grateful. Can we pray together one more time as we enter into this moment that Robin and I talked about before we recognize that it is it's a, it's a holding intention, the pastoral and the prophetic really acutely in this moment as we talk about Jesus's lynching, as we talk about the implications that white theological understanding of what happened at the cross has impacted everyone. This is deep and important stuff. So enter into another prayerful posture, however you feel led. As we pray, God, creator, creatrix, God who we call father, God who we call mother, God who we call the earth, God who we call the universe, God who we call son, God who we call sibling and brother and sister, be with us in this moment as we try once again, to grasp your mystery, the mystery of the ages, the mystery of how you can be so different to all of us, yet speak to us each in our hearts. We are compelled, God, to draw near to you. And in this faithful act of separation and conversation and honesty, we come to you. Let the words of our conversation and of our mouths be found pleasing in your sight, God, our rock, redeemer, lover, partner. Amen. If I can introduce us just a little, Dr. Robin and I really are have a lot of notes and a lot of conversation, but we're having a conversation right now. We wanted this sermon to be dialogical and reflective. And so we've had tons of conversation. I have been, Pastor Henra, for those of you in the Zoom mentioned it in the chat, I have been praying with the tree lately. I have been working with Ghost Ranch and Claudio Carvales, Reverend Dr. Claudio Carvales. Um, and so, really strongly in my mind, I have been thinking about trees. I have been thinking about Jesus's suffering. And always I'm thinking about the implications of 
the system of belief, the history, the tradition of Christianity of which I opted to be a part. Y'all know I decided to be a Christian later in life. I decided to follow this way. And with that, I took on a history that is so complex and difficult that I continue to wrestle and to come back to the compelling story of Jesus. So we are here in Lent and we are talking about sacrifice. We are talking about what is sacrifice? Um, and so our conversations led us in a numerous directions. And I feel so lucky that we've gotten to talk so much specifically in this week. Um, but we came to this idea of, of sacrifice and the difference between what sacrifice is and what suffering is. And so I hope today that we can reach toward that in this sermon. And um, I'll let Dr. Robin do some introduction and framing as well. That's where I came to this conversation. And I'm glad to be here. So, you know, things like atonement theory and, um, and sacrifice um, have not only been a part of the theological imagination um, for millennia, but it, you know, this, this idea of sacrifice shows up in all sorts of traditions and not just the Christian tradition, right? We have sacrifice in the Jewish tradition. We have sacrifice in, in African diaspora traditions. We have sacrifice in all sorts of, of spiritual practices or spiritual traditions. The, the, um, the, the thing that I want us to think about is what created conditions for the Christian tradition to accelerate um, an understanding, a framework and practice of sacrifice that has rationalized things like the prison industrial complex. Because I think that um, in, in, the same, in the same respect or in the same way that I helped us sort of tease out our inherited conceptions of justice that is predicated on a free class, the same is true for theories of atonement. And so going back into church history, um, we've, we've arrived in 2021 with, with an idea that is, that is called the penal substitutionary atonement theory or and PSA. What is that? Yeah, <laughs> that's so big. And, and that, that phrase has, has come from a long history of church fathers, so male-bodied humans, thinking about how do we institutionalize this thought? And so th this idea of penal substitutionary atonement um, comes from the what is often called the satisfaction theory that was created by Anselm. So Anselm is a really important figure 
in church history because Anselm was really the, the person who helps us think about who God is. So, so Anselm's definition of who God is, is that which can no other be conceived. So we, so we get this sort of working definition of who God is, that which no other can be conceived. And then we have Anselm talking about um, this sacrifice of Jesus, which gets, gets sort of um, parlayed into notions of atonement, right? And so atonement throughout history has been, we do one thing to sort of assuage this other thing. And so there's all these, there's all these um, um, theories of atonement. And the one that gets accelerated the most um, in the Reformation time and then it, throughout evangelical history is this one particular atonement theory that is termed the penal substitutionary atonement. Now, by the very nature of the, the term or the phrase, it is punitive in nature. Mm -hmm. And it, there is this surrogacy that is involved in that. And I bring that up to say, well, to, to translate out the possibility that this atonement theory is a form of surrogacy of Jesus right. who incurs the debt of our sin. Um, and this surrogacy has been translated, or to use the words of Resma Menachem, who talks about racialized um, trauma blown through black people in America. So this is where we're headed. I, I don't want to cut off Dr. Dr. Robin. This type of surrogacy is, I think, where we reach this problematic state and this huge mystery and I think that's what Anselm's definition of God is, right? This gigantic mystery of what is God. But then we wrestle with suffering, long suffering, and we misdefine it as sacrifice. And I wanna refer back to, and I, I definitely, read Dr. Cohn's The Crossing the Lynching Tree again. And I think it's a practice I'm gonna do every Lent oh. to re-ground myself in the history that I talked about that's so important to me to begin to undo. And to frame again our conversation, Dr. Cohn asked the important questions and I think we're seeing the answers to some of these questions today. What happened? to the indifference among white liberal religious leaders that fostered silence in the face of the lynching industry. Where is that indifference today? And did the hate and indifference vanish so that we're no longer to be concerned about it? These are questions that immediately stuck out to me as questions that we could bring to this space here. Don't let me throw you off, Dr. Robin, who's giving us this historical perspective. Well, what you mentioned here around surrogacy, um, I think is, is really important for 
for a sort of pivoting out of sort of an accelerated harm against the specificity of black folks, right? Because what what this atonement theory um, raises up is actually the fungibility of blackness, right? Um, that we can see in the prison industrial complex, that we can see in also just the fungibility of anything or anyone that is non-white. So we have the Japanese uh, false imprisonment camps, right? Um, that we have tied together in the Christian tradition a need to assuage or, or remove um, our debt or our sin or our wrongdoing because we must satisfy God. That is how this theory of atonement started, is that um, Anselm felt that there was some need to like appease God or, or satisfy God, right? So then it gets framed as satisfaction theory that gets further delineated into penal substitutionary atonement. Now, in our conversations, I sort of raised up, what does it say about the human psychology that we need some sort of belief system that helps us know that we have satisfied God or that we have, um, um, that we have done enough to be accepted by God, right? Because that is how this theory um, gets played out. That if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and I'm not trying to take anybody's Jesus away, I, I love Jesus, but the ways in which we framed Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus as this sort of um, very vertical relationship that is encapsulated with a transcendent God that is removed from time and space, um, I think solidifies things like supremacy culture. I, yes, I see that. And, and if assuredness and, and we sing songs, and this is why, again, Daniel's selections were so poignant. We sing songs where we say blessed assurance. And if that is the goal of our faith, assurance, the presence of God is our assurance. The gift of creation can be our assurance. The afterlife and the very nature of God, God's self, is not our assurance. God is a mystery. Yet, I think, in the theological history of white evangelicalism, we have sought assuredness and in this way became so self-assured of our destination and relationship with God that we forgot that sin sin my working definition of sin is something that blocks me from God my corporate definition of sin is injustice and so in the face of the lynching era, the era of black genocide in the United States, white clergy folks said nothing. Cohn's research is ex 
extensive in the cross and the lynching tree. And he says he found nothing. That is mind boggling. Mm -hmm. But no wonder that we can rationalize today mass incarceration systems, which clearly, clearly are targeted at communities of color. We have studied rationalization and I love our faith. I love our faith too much to let those histories not be, not be spoken aloud. And I think that Robin and I share this as, if I can say, as, as a vocational calling to continue to unveil mm -hmm. these ways that don't work for us. And instead of saying, let's throw it all out and say, no, there's a compelling charismatic connection that I have with Jesus that is real, that is comforting, but it's not because I'm sure. It's not because I'm sure. It's because that presence is everlasting. I love that. I love that you started with a sense of assuredness that that we that we are trying to practice a kind of faithfulness to practices of assuredness and and sometimes i think we forget that belief and dogma actually show up in our social practices right which is which is the link to back to ra the rationalization of mass incarceration and all these industrial complexes that actually are accelerating harm against the least of these. And so I, you know, I think as we, as we sort of um, teeter on and, and practice a very delicate dance um, around atonement is what, what is serving us and what is not serving us, which I'm gonna talk a little bit about the both and approach in, in the toxic theology class, you know, but let me just give you an example around sacrifice. This past week, my partner went on retreat because we've been quarantined for a year together. And um, when I was traveling all the time in the before times, we had natural breaks um, from one another that sort of served as a renewal point for our relationship. And because we've been quarantined for a year, um, we've not had any breaks from one another. We are both very much introverted um, and, you know, like need psychic space um, and solitude. And I'm a five on the Enneagram. And so like, I definitely need solitude. So my partner went on retreat and um, because of my trauma history, um, it, which is very complex and very deep, I did not sleep for two days um, because I cannot sleep when I am alone. And I, I have lots of shame and, and quite embarrassed about that um, um, and have been working on it for years, but I've, I've never been able to sleep alone. And so I sacrificed 48 hours of sleep so that my partner could get away and go to Pinnell Ridge and like renew themselves. And, and I was willing to sacrifice two days of sleep 
because my partner matters to me and their mental health matters to me. And, and it's okay that I sacrificed two days of sleep. Um, I had lots of care when they returned and we're sort of putting in systems that, that can maybe support me because she needs to be able to get away on a regular basis if, if we're gonna be on this kind of lockdown. And that kind of sacrifice that is in relationship is I think the thing that goes missing, goes awry, right? It goes off the rails in the evangelical tradition that we forget actually that sacrifice in, in, in any tradition, if you look at it it, 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 it oscillates, it revolves around a particular relationality. And that gets lost in, in, in the ways in which sacrifice and later atonement theories get talked about in our tradition, which yeah. accelerates this kind of harm. Exactly. And that speaks so much to this individualization, which Dr. Robin and I talk about a lot. Um, but I love that story, that illustration of the sacrifice. And when we were talking, I shared about the sacrifices that happen, particularly in my family, when I am preaching this that week, you know, and, and I had some conversations, shout out to um, the Reverend Keith Menhenick. We had some conversations this week about progressive, and I, and I think we're building this radical Christianity, but progressive Christianity forgetting that sacrifice is a part of it, right? We, we all come here with so much church trauma that we would never say, well, you need to sacrifice for the church. And part of that, I think, is because of our misinterpretation of what community is and what being in community is. And I want to tie this into our last sermon series, again, as Dr. Robin had, but in, in a slightly different way to think about transformative justice. So if retributive justice was a lens that we interpreted what happened at the cross, to interpret it through retributive or through transformative justice or to inter interpret sacrifice through transformative justice is a life-giving way to look at it, I think. So if I have caused harm, which I have, and in order to make up for that harm, it is a sacrifice that I need to make in order to come back into relationship, in order to come back into a community. If I have harmed, I can come back into that community and that sacrifice, not long suffering. It's not the work of groveling. It's not the work of making myself low. And that's why I really love that Mary Oliver poem that we adapted for our call to worship. We are not called to long suffering. We are called to show up for each other in community. And that's what I heard in what you just said, Dr. Robin. And can I just say that Dr. Robin does that? Shows up in community, shows up in Charleston, shows up for those who, who, who need representation. And I want to say the confusion 
of Jesus's suffering and death with sacrifice, with the sacrifice of God, I think has caused us harm. And so if we believe that our God required this sacrifice, I think it, it has contributed to these systems of a demonization, calling evil of any type of what society calls immorality, right? And I say this a lot, but if if my son never hears the phrase, oh, maybe I'll whisper it, I don't know if he's really listening, Jesus, baby Jesus cries when we lie, then I will be a, a happy uh, pastor parent because connect, the connection of our own behaviors with the retribution of God in sin debt is, is so harmful. It causes us, I think, unmeasurable amounts of church trauma. And so without losing the importance of the cross, we can redefine sacrifice. I think, I think that's the work that we're doing. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that we need to remember that all of these dogmas that we've inherited are tied to social practice or ethics, right? They get lived out in some way. Um, One of the ways that this penal substitutionary atonement gets played out is is through and by logics of exclusion, right? This is why you see a lack of ecumenism or interfaith dialogue within evangelical traditions because of this penal substitutionary atonement. And so the, the, and why I keep sort of naming it in that way is that we need to be very clear on what's happening here. And as I learned two decades ago from my seminary professor, my advisor, who I still consider my teacher, Nancy Bedford, we need to be wise as serpents because what we are up against are the machinations of supremacy culture. that is veiled as um, following the way. And, 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 you know, this community, Park Avenue, you know, is, is a very special community because it has, it has like um, the, the intuition to question. And also there is, there is still the need to be very wise as serpents in our intuition of questioning, right? Um, and so, I, you know, I always feel really grateful that we can ask the questions and actually hold one another with a deep sense of care as we journey together. Because, I mean, I really believe um, that, that we should sort of all be on the way together and not leave anyone behind. And, and, and that is... That is one of the distinctions that I think this theory of atonement does is it ends up leaving people behind who don't buy into it, right? And so as we're questioning this and as we're like trying to figure this out, because like I was raised as, you know, you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And that to me was like my moral framework, Mm -hmm. which created a bunch of exclusionary practices in my life things like Islamophobia at a, at an early age, right? Mm-hmm. Until I got into college and began sort of reading more. 
And so I just want to say that we are all balancing um, our own comfort level with what we've inherited and what we're willing to give up. And just as sort of a confession, because I, I think actually confession is good in community, um, is that like when Deacon Daniel was singing, there's something really like in my bones um, that sort of evangelical music does for me. It, it helps me have an awareness of Emmanuel or God with us, right? Now, so much of the music in my evangelical past is like really toxic and harmful, but the sound, right? It's comforting. And so I just wanna offer that we're all sort of balancing this both and and trying to tend to ourselves and in community with one another, um, which is what really excites me to be a part of Park Avenue um, because we're tending to this as if we are all farming together. Absolutely, Dr. Robin. And as we come to to a close, I think that that's that is that is our place to land. That these different ideas about God can be held together. We can hold them. That is why community exists, so that I don't have to hold it all. So that you don't have to hold it all and if you continue to find comfort in the idea that jesus absolves you of all of your sins please carry that theology for us carry that for me in my life it has been comforting to know that a suffering god knows me and knows the suffering that i've been through i think the pastoral implications and practical nature of our savior knowing suffering has been a comfort, has been made me feel not alone. And we're not trying to change that. We're just bringing you along with our trails and pulling of the string toward what might be a theology that redefines sacrifice for us. And it might not be. And I think that that can be held together. When I cry out in anguish and prayer, cursing God or silently suffering, what quiets my fears that I'm alone is that I know that Jesus had a full experience of being human, one that we look closely at in the time of Lent. And so if our looking closely has led us down this intellectual pathway, that's not helpful for you, take what you can and leave the rest. Jesus felt isolated and sometimes so do I. Jesus questioned his path and so do I. Jesus suffered and so I know that I'm not alone. The humanness of our God who experienced anguish is reflective of the divineness and reminds me of the divineness in you and I both. And that is redemption to me. We might never know exactly what happened at the cross, but we do know what happens next. We do know what's coming. And I don't want to give it away and say hallelujah too early, but the suffering is not the last word. But right now, particularly in the time of COVID-19, in the time of the unveiling 
because it never went away of the violence and attempted genocide that's happening against black people and people of color in the United States. We need to know that suffering is not the end and that we don't have to have it figured out to know that feeling that comes over us when we hear Daniel's amazing voice singing out, great are you Lord, great is our faithfulness. Great is our faithfulness so that we can question. Great is our faithfulness so that we can choose theologies and know the history of what has been taught to us so that we can faithfully move forward. I say it all the time. We are writing the next Testament right now. I felt so poignant that we were speaking about the Harlem Renaissance because right now is the Renaissance. It is a time of creation, creative thought, connections are being made, creativity is at its peak. And let's say we are a part of it. I can remember being a young person reading about the 60s and saying, I would have been like this if I was there. I would have been in those marches. And today I am. And so are you. You are a part of it, Park Avenue. Our way of being is going to change how church is done we want you to be a part of it wherever you are on the spectrum you are welcome all are welcome i feel that we're at a natural end here dr robin do you want to say anything else you know i think that um this is just an invitation for imagining who is jesus and how can we practice the ways of Jesus. And, and I'm so glad that we had a chance to share our thoughts. And maybe this is an opening for us to sort of explore things like Christology, which is, which sort of gets in more of this, right? Maybe there could be a study. Um, but I just feel very excited to have been here. And to participate in the invitation, right? To participate in the renaissance of, of theology, which hinges on imagination. Ooh, the renaissance of theology, say that. Thank you all so much. Let's enter our moment of response and reflection. Let me introduce us to that moment um, by saying, respond as you will. Respond as God has called you in this moment. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta, across the street from Grant Park at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavebaptist.com. Now go into a world that is too often unjust. Knowing that the God that created you loves you. And empowers you to love boldly, live inclusively. And serve creatively. Creatively.